Welcome back to the Beargrass Christian Church Podcast. I'm Dee Decker. I'm the Director of Communications at Beargrass, and we're glad you are giving us a listen. This episode is a real treat as Reverend Aaron Wathen discusses a new spirit of compassion. Aaron is the new Associate Director for Marketing and Communications with Week of Compassion, the Relief, Refugee, and Development Mission Fund of the Disciples of Christ. Prior to taking on this role, Erin served congregations in Kentucky, Arizona, and Kansas City. She's also a writer and has published two books. Her most recent, Resist and Persist, Faith and the Fight for Equality, was a Publishers Weekly Book of the Year in 2018 and recently won an Indie Book Award. Her blog, Irreverent, appears on the Pathos Progressive Christian Network. In this episode, Reverend Wathen shares some fresh new perspectives about the very familiar yet remarkably relevant and significant story of the Good Samaritan. Here now, Reverend Aaron Wathen. Well, in the past six months, I've transitioned from being the senior pastor of a church where I preached every Sunday to representing a ministry of the denomination where I get to preach maybe once every month or two. The liability for you is that that means it could be a really long sermon. (laughs) If you've ever known a preacher without a regular pulpit, uh, sometimes, you know, the temptation is to share every thought we've had since the last time we preached. But in the spirit of the, the scripture for today, I will show mercy on you and try to, you know, get you out of here by lunchtime within reason. Uh, But it is really good to be preaching in a Kentucky congregation again after years of serving congregations in Arizona and then the Kansas City area. You know, in those places, I could kind of blend in to a point, but every time I met a new person, the minute I opened my mouth to speak, they would say, where are you from? Or maybe sometimes there would be a little head tilt, and they'd smile and say, where are you from? Yeah, that got old after a while, because then I would have to explain, you know, you can't just say Kentucky. You have to answer, what part of Kentucky? And then I would have to get into the semantics of where I was from versus where my husband was from and why his accent is not the same thing as my accent, et cetera, et cetera. So explaining that I was from southeastern Kentucky, and let me tell you, it's It's difficult to explain the holler to folks who don't know the difference between wild turkey and Woodford. I mean, my husband will love to tell you sometime about the the time at a restaurant when I asked what the top shelf situation was and the server tried to tell me about a nice Crown Royal blend. They'd just gotten it. That's that's Canadian. Anyway, you know you're a stranger in a strange land when the top shelf is from Canada. In any case, where we come from can give us such a strong sense of identity and community and belonging that it can also set us apart. Humans are somehow wired to place boundaries around our sense of who is one of us and who is not, who is from here and who ain't from around here, you could tell. Now, with the privilege of being a middle-class straight white woman, I've rarely felt like an outsider 
but there were times living in the Midwest when I felt like I needed a translator. The good thing is I learned from Scripture how to be a guest in someone else's territory. Jesus had a system for that. He was an itinerant preacher. When he was speaking to a crowd in a new place where he maybe didn't know the culture or the custom as well, he'd lead with a story. Stories are a universal language made to connect us deeply at a human level. And that's what we find in our scripture today. A lawyer asks Jesus two questions that sound really simple, but of course do not have a simple answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life, he says, and who is my neighbor? The best answer, of course, is a story, one that we have come to know as the good Samaritan. You notice the word good never once appears in this passage. Good Samaritan has to us become a blanket term for any sort of do-gooder out there in the world. You ever notice there's a human interest story on TV? It doesn't matter if the person has cleaned up a neighborhood park or rescued a cat from out of a tree. They call them Good Samaritans. But we cannot understate the inherent bad guy implication that the term Samaritan would have carried in Jesus' day. This was not at all an identity that someone would readily attach to the word good. Jews and Samaritans did not mix. Samaritans were very much outsiders, even the enemy maybe, not from around here. The trouble with parables is that they're such nice, concise episodes. They're often reduced to generic stories of good and bad, right and wrong, which waters down some of the impact. Because in fact, these stories of Jesus were radical, meant to connect with people's memories and most deeply held beliefs, and then transform all those assumptions turn someone's worldview completely upside down. These versions that have trickled down to us over time have been padded in a lot of cases by our own culture and context, our own prejudice and comforts. And that's exactly where the lawyer, the beginning of this story, is coming from. He has a question for Jesus, but he does not want a sermon. He just wants the punchline. So he's looking for a packaged answer, the illustrated tract with the three-point salvation plan. Maybe someone's brought those to your door at some point or another. He wants the Sunday school version with an easy two-word answer. Perhaps that's the lawyer in him. Just give me the closing argument. I have another meeting after this. I mean, a lot of my best friends are lawyers. I know how this goes. But in his question, when he says, who is my neighbor? The word that he uses for neighbor is rea. It means friend or fellow. In other words, a fellow Israelite, a member of his own tribe and one for whom he is required to care for by law. 
So he's asking Jesus, who really belongs to me? Who is really my responsibility? Like, bare minimum. As though there might be a boundary, a nicely drawn line around his area of concern. But Jesus is not about to give him that two-word answer. Instead, he launches into a story, because that's what Jesus does. Now, in this story, the people you might expect to do the right thing, the priest and the Levite, who's also a religious leader, these deeply spiritual figures who are all about teaching people what is good and how to do right, they pass on by. And suddenly, in the end, the villain becomes the hero. What's that law you're supposed to do with that? This dynamic has turned on its head all of this man's assumptions about what is meant by neighbor and what to expect out of people that tradition has taught him to fear. With this story, Jesus does not just teach a lesson. He rejects the very premise of the man's question. The lawyer gets lawyered. But Jesus ends this powerful story with a directive, an important follow-up assignment. Go and do likewise. That open-ended ending is everything. I'm lucky enough in my role to catch a glimpse of how our wider church lives into this directive to go and do, to show mercy not just to those within the boundary lines of our tribe or territory, but to be and embody this body of Christ on a global scale. I know that when most folks hear weak of compassion, the first thing you think about is disaster response. And that is certainly a huge part of our work. In fact, we've been keeping a close eye on Barry all weekend. But that's not all that we do. We are also the denomination's mission fund for refugee and immigration ministry and for global development work. 75 years ago, this ministry emerged out of the humanitarian crisis created by World War II. And our church at the time felt deeply called to respond to the wide-scale suffering caused by the trauma of war, to meet the needs of those who had been displaced by the violence and were looking for ways and places to start over, find new life. Things evolved from there. And nowadays we say that we have three areas of response, but it's not like disaster work and development projects and refugee ministry are all totally different neighborhoods. Because in a lot of cases, one is deeply connected to the other. And very often, that work is not other places. It starts right here in our own backyard and then creates a circle that ripples outward. Right here at Beargrass, just this morning, a team met to make plans for helping a new refugee family resettle in the Louisville area. 
And this is not the first time you've sponsored a refugee family. Did you know, in fact, there is a story about Beargrass on the main website of our partner organization, the Disciples Refugee and Immigration Ministries. Because in helping families find employment and empowerment, in providing them a set of wheels so they can get around on a bicycle, and in showing them simply that they are welcome and wanted in a new place, you are setting an example for our wider church, modeling what it means to show mercy to those who might not be recognized as neighbors by all in our community. Meanwhile, down at the southern border, those from neighboring countries are trying to find new life here, but are often met with cruelty and terrible suffering. I recognize that immigration is a vastly complex issue, and we know that no party line has all the answers about how to fix it. But our faith compels us to meet the stranger with mercy. That's it. We are challenged to not ask too many questions about the semantics of who belongs to me and who is mine to care for. Through Week of Compassion, you support a disciples mission site called, wait for it, Southwest Good Samaritan Ministries. This group in Texas worked to meet the basic needs of housing and water and food for those waiting to go through the immigration process. They also provide advocacy and legal aid and generally try to humanize the process of becoming neighbors in the physical sense. Now, because this issue is so complex, though, that's not all we do. We approach this issue from many angles. And in addition to providing humanitarian relief at the border, we also take proactive measures to address the roots of the crisis in Central America the circumstances that cause people to feel sometimes like they have no other future but to move. Just a few months ago, I was able to travel to Honduras and visit one of our global development projects there. I went to family farms all across the countryside, some places where folks are just beginning this program, learning to install latrines and hand-washing stations, to prevent the spread of disease. Basic, basic things that we often take for granted. And then I got to see some farms that were in later stages of the project, places where families have learned to plant new crops and are now literally enjoying the fruits of their labors. Those who have completed this years-long program get a wonderful graduation gift from our partners. They get a cow. And we found that when a family gets a cow, just one family, suddenly nutrition among the children in that whole village is vastly improved. That's because milk is introduced into the diet, not just of the one family that got the cow, but of all their neighbors as well. 
And the understanding is that when that cow gives birth, the calf will be given to another family. And not a family living right next door, but one in a neighboring village. This practice does a couple of things. For one thing, it keeps the the gene pool from getting too complicated, and it keeps the livestock pure. But it does something else, too. It passes the wealth on down the road so that the next community can begin to thrive. Programs like this one create opportunity so more families are empowered to provide for their own needs, more can send their children to school, fewer young adults make the dangerous journey north, families stay together, and we begin to scratch the surface of the border crisis. And who is my neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Maybe the one who gave you a cow. The work of Week of Compassion is the work of the whole church. Where we are, you are. Here on this corner, in this neighborhood, and also out there in the world. What's clear is that the church right now, both here and in its many expressions around the world, this body of Christ is uniquely situated to respond to the very complex challenges of our time and place. In the face of overwhelming need, many are tempted to ask, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to care for, bare minimum? Because it's just too much otherwise. Maybe that's the lawyer voice that lives in all of our heads, the pragmatist, the voice of place and comfort and privilege. We ask, who belongs to me? Who is really my responsibility, really one of my people? As though we might somehow be able to place boundary lines around our compassion. As though it's geographical proximity that makes neighbors of us, and not the simple state of being human. Jesus shows us again and again that that question is the way of death. We are called instead to a fullness of life, not the way of two-word easy answers, but of richly layered story, a lived experience of compassion that cannot be reduced to a soundbite. One of my favorite bands, The Head and the Heart, who are sadly not performing at Forecastle this year. They have a new song called I Found Out. And the chorus says, I found out it's not the love that's in your mind. It's the love that we might find that's going to save our lives. What must we do to inherit life? It's love that's going to save our lives. The lawyer in all of us wants a one-word answer. But the more complicated response to his question is this. The work of eternal life is actually eternal. It is a lifetime of following in the way of Jesus. 
not just reciting a few parsed words of his teaching. It is the way of everyday mercy and grace. It is the call to widen the boundaries of who belongs to us and whose neighbor we choose to be. Whether we welcome refugees to our own neighborhood or show compassion to those at the border or make life more sustainable half the world away, we are called to the way of mercy. What must I do to inherit life? Go and do likewise to your neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Well, who isn't? Amen. A huge thanks to Aaron for sharing such a meaningful message. To read more stories about refugees and immigration, visit the Disciples Home Missions website at www.discipleshomemissions.org. Thanks for listening, and we'd love to see you around the table at one of our weekend worship services. You can find our location, worship times, and upcoming events at our website, www.beargrass.org. If you like what you're hearing, you can hit the donate button. As always, I'd love to get ideas and insights from you. You can hit me up at the office or email me at d at beargrass.org. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to check out our new website, www.beargrass.org. Until next time, grace and peace.